Amen. If you have, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Genesis chapter forty-five. Genesis chapter forty-five. As we near the end of the book of Genesis, uh, just five chapters left here. Uh, we'll be looking at this chapter uh, today. As you're opening up there, uh, I do want to say what a joy it has been to have all. Uh, children and volunteers in the in the buildings all week. Um, we of course didn't get to do that last summer, but what a joy it's been to have them around and uh, filling our hallways with joy and laughter. And this morning, filling our church service with joy and laughter. So we praise praise God for that. Genesis chapter forty five. Uh, even though the sermon will focus on the whole chapter, we'll just be reading verses one through fifteen. This morning, if you would, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now you do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his gospel. 
And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from your word today. God, open our hearts and minds to be changed by it, we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever stop and just think about the providence of God? Just the different seasons and times in your life where you know God was at work? Nearly 15 years ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Boaz, Alabama, waiting, uh, studying for a Hebrew final. And I looked over, and through the drive through of that coffee shop was a girl I'd known uh, earlier in my life named Whitney Walker. And I, said, I looked up, and I said, hey, there's Whitney Walker. She's in the drive through And another guy that we're friends with, and I later went to college and seminary with, named Chris Evelsizer, was in the same coffee shop. And he called Whitney Walker and said, hey, uh, are you not going to come in and say hello? She was in a big hurry, but just decided to come in. And she said, hey, to Chris, and she's walking by my table. We stopped and we talked for like 45 minutes. We talked for a long time. And then she left, and um, I sent a text. and said, it was really fun hanging out uh, and talking tonight. We should do it on purpose sometime. And many of you have wondered how this all happened. And no, 100% game. That's how it happened. <laughs> all, you, there's nothing but game that made this. Whitney's not in here to roll her eyes right now, so I'm going to have fun with this right now. But I think back a lot to that coffee shop. The building it was in is torn down now. Uh, I think back a lot and thought, what if I had done like I often did and didn't study for my Hebrew final? What, what if Whitney had felt very alert and very able to drive where she was driving that night and didn't want a cup of coffee? She came out of her way there. What if Chris Evelsizer hadn't been in the car? I never, maybe I'll send this to Evel later and say, I never would have thought I'd be that thankful for Chris Evelsizer in my life, but here I am, thankful. We think back and look back and think, what if, what, what if the Lord hadn't done that? What, what if we didn't have this moment? What if we didn't meet this person? And we think about the way that in so many ways God is at work when we can't even see it. You see, most of us know what we talk about when we talk about God's sovereignty. In fact, that word for many of us almost sounds scary because it sounds sort of like fatalism. It's a belief that God's in control of all things, that He is king of the universe. He's in control of all things that happen. But I want you to know that that there's a nuance to God's sovereignty, and we talk about it in terms of the word providence. Providence is the idea that God is using His sovereignty, His control of all things. God is guiding those things toward a purpose. God is at work to do something. So God isn't just willy-nilly saying, well, I guess I'll do this and I guess I'll do that. No, God is at work creating something, doing something. And as Christians, we believe and confess that that which he is up to is uniting all things under the lordship of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God's at work through providence. You see, these are words and terms that a lot of Christians like to fight about and argue about. A lot of guys are into theology or sort of like guys are into Dungeons and Dragons and they kind of sit around and talk about these things and nerd out on these things and Christians like to fight about these sorts of things. And I believe it's a design of the devil that Christians tend to fight the most over those doctrines which God most intends to be comforting and sweet and precious to his saints. And providence is one of those doctrines that ought 
to comfort us. It ought to be sweet to us. It ought to be precious to us to know that our Heavenly Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, is guiding all things in the universe toward Jesus. All things are being summed up in Christ. And for those of us who have walked with and who know and who love Jesus, that ought to be a comforting and sweet thought. And so that's part of what I want to do this morning. I want to take this story where Joseph is reflecting on God's providence as he talks to his brothers. And I want to help you reclaim the doctrine of God's providence as a precious doctrine for your walk with the Lord. From this story, I want to show you three truths about God's providence that I think will encourage you and help you as you walk with the Lord, as you sometimes question God, as you struggle with different things. I want you to see the way that God is at work, even in things you, even in ways you can't see, even in things you couldn't imagine God was at work in. I hope you'll be encouraged by these three thoughts on providence from this text of Scripture. Here's the first. God's providence is mysterious. God's providence is mysterious. Now, some of you uh, may be in this series for the first time. That's okay. I want you to know what's happened. Joseph's brothers, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, had had become very jealous of Joseph because of some preferential treatment that he had received from his father. In particular, a lot of the jealousy was summed up over a coat that Joseph had received. And so his brothers had, had left him for dead and then at the last moment sort of shifted their focus as some traders came by and they decided to sell him into slavery. And so through a series of seemingly random events, which we, looking in hindsight, know was God's providential design, we see that Joseph becomes eventually Lord over all of Egypt. And his brothers had already been once to receive grain because of the famine in the land, and now they've come back again for grain again. And Joseph had been working and sort of scheming to make sure his brothers were authentically repentant, that they had really had a change of heart. And nothing helped him see this repentance more than the speech that Judah gives back in chapter 44. Judah was not a godly man. He was a wicked man, and yet God changed his heart and he offers to be a pledge on behalf of a brother uh, and offers to go into slavery instead of that brother, Benjamin. Joseph breaks down weeping, finally, as the story picks up in chapter 45. He couldn't control himself, the Bible says. He kicks everybody out of the room, and he had been talking to them through a translator up until this moment. And then you see, he kind of notes this later in his speech to his brothers. Do you see, I'm talking to you with my own mouth. He begins to talk to them in their native tongue. He begins to talk to them in their heart language. He weeps, and as he clears the room, he tells them, I am Joseph. But I want you to notice something about how Joseph frames this conversation. Again, I've kind of alluded to this a few times, but if I were Joseph, buddy, this would be the speech to end all speeches. You know, how do you like me now? That's where I am if I'm Joseph, right? I was in a pit, and now that's where you're going. That, that's me. But I don't think that's what Joseph says. What does he say? Listen to what the Scripture teaches in verses 5 through 7. He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. In other words, what Joseph is saying is God did this to preserve his people. And as you read the whole of the book of Genesis, you recognize there's a depth to this that's even beyond perhaps what some people might see, that not only was God preserving them just to preserve them, but God was preserving a seed, a descendant, a Messiah that's promised earlier in the book of Genesis. What a strange set of circumstances God has used to bring His people to this point. God has used His sovereignty and His providence to guide them to this moment, and the brothers have come in repentance. Joseph has come in forgiveness, and now the conversation is being framed as something that God has done. You see, we often find God's ways perplexing. And frankly, rightfully so. I I understand how we can oftentimes find the ways of God perplexing. There is a mystery to the providence of God. We talked about a hymn a, a week or two ago by William Cooper. God moves in a mysterious way. It's true that that's the case. We don't always see and understand. And as we read the sordid stories that are being woven together here in the plot line of Joseph's life, sometimes we read them and think, what in the world is God up to? And yet Joseph, who had the most to lose in all of this, is clearly saying, despite all my travails, despite all my troubles, it was God who was at work. You see, there is a mystery to God's providence, but it's for our good. You see, God's mysterious providence keeps us humble. It it, it keeps us humble. We kind of know how things ought to be done, don't we? You might be like me. Anytime I see something that's not right, I tell my wife, you know, if they had called me, I would have told them how to do this. On how to handle this. And uh, I I would have told them. It it keeps us humble, though, that sometimes God does things in a way that we wouldn't do them, right? God is at work in ways that, that we wouldn't do things. God is at work in ways that we can't always understand. It keeps us humble that God's providence is often mysterious. But another thing it does is it strengthens our faith. New York City pastor Tim Keller said this. He says, if you have a God who's great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, or in your life for that matter, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons to allow it to continue that you can't know. You can't have it both ways. If God is big and great enough for us to be frustrated at because he's not doing things our way, certainly God is big and great and wise enough to be doing something we can't see. And so the mystery of God's providence keeps our faith muscles strong. It keeps them from atrophying because we have to trust in what we cannot see. We have to trust oftentimes in what we cannot understand. But it also gives us hope. It it also gives us hope. You see, people do. I've heard it a lot of times, and I understand so often, that people want to get mad at God over evil and suffering. But a doctrine of providence 
gives us hope that evil and suffering won't last forever. Think about that. Think about what we're saying when we say we believe that God is providential, when we believe in God's providence. We're saying, yes, indeed, God is sovereign and God's in control and there's evil and suffering happening in the world, and yet we do believe that it won't last forever because God is guiding all things to an end where he will wipe away the tears from every eye. He will make all evil and suffering go away forever. There's a purpose even in suffering, and though it's a mystery to us why God would allow some things, we nonetheless look and recognize and realize that we have hope that God will not leave it this way forever. He's guiding all of history toward a purpose in Christ. And so indeed, God's providence is mysterious, but second of all, I want you to know God's providence is kind. There's a kindness to the providence of God. In verses 16 through 23, something amazing begins to happen. Pharaoh overhears that Joseph's brothers have come, and he tells Joseph to tell them to go get all of their livestock and the rest of their family, including their father Israel, and he tells them to come back to Egypt. And notice what Pharaoh says. He says, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And then for their journey, Joseph gives them provisions as they go, and he gives them food and sets of clothing. And to his brother Benjamin, he gives five sets of clothes, and he gives 300 shekels of silver. And so that makes that 20 shekels of silver that they sold their brother for earlier in the book makes it look like a penance compared to the blessings that God has given. You see, the family has experienced a lot of hardship and difficulties because of sin, but here we see the way that God is providing for them in ways we couldn't imagine. God is giving them the fat of the land of Egypt. He is giving them choice land in Egypt. He is giving them provisions for their journey. He's giving them amazing amounts of wealth. And through all these things, and we'll see later the way Jacob even views his own life as a hard and difficult life, and indeed it has been, and Joseph's life is a hard and difficult life, and the brothers have lived hard lives, not only of hard work, but of sin and wandering from the Lord, and yet here God in His providence through all these difficulties and through all these trials is graciously, gloriously providing for them in order that they might be preserved in the world, and bear in mind that this is happening in the midst of a famine. God makes springs to flow in the desert. You see, oftentimes as Christians, I think we struggle because we know Jesus loves us. And sometimes we think, I hear what the Bible says about God's love for me and His care for me. And yet sometimes it just feels like my life doesn't line up. We so often see the frown of providence with our eyes. And we're forced to trust that there's a smile that we cannot see because God is good and His purpose is to show kindness to His people. I I, I know you want to see it with your own eyes. But remember, God didn't even do that for Abraham. 
Abraham was promised a land flowing with milk and honey and that his descendants would be great and spread over the earth like the waters cover the sea. They would be like the sand on the seashore. He was promised all these things and yet he died a sojourner living in a tent, not yet having seen, as the author of Hebrews tells us, the city which God had promised him. So often all we feel like we see is travail and suffering and difficulties, and often that's the case. But I want you to trust and believe that God means good for you even when you cannot see it. There's a kindness to God's providence. There is nothing that will befall you in this life that God will not somehow, somehow, maybe not in this life, I I will not be trite with your suffering. I, I will not try to give you direct explanations for why you've gone through a difficulty. But what I will say to you is this, that he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for his all, he will also freely give you all things. And though you can't see it with your eyes today, there is a smile of God by which he guides you and he leads you with kindness and love, even when you cannot see it. God is at work for you even when you can't see it. Some might say, sure, God is kind to them now, but what about the fact that this is setting the stage for the enslavement of His people in Egypt? I'm sure you are at least familiar with the book of Exodus and the story of God delivering His people back out of Egypt. The Bible says, In the next book, Exodus, that there's a Pharaoh who comes along who has no memory of Egypt and, I mean, of Joseph, and he starts to mistreat the people of God. What about that, Pastor? How can you say that this is God's kind providence? Well, don't you see the way that the Lord is using Egypt as an incubator to make Israel a great nation? He's using the fat of the land and the greatness of Egypt to grow his own people into a great nation. And one day, according to his glory and splendor and might, God with a a mighty hand and an outstretched arm will deliver his people out of Egypt. So even here, we can see backwards and forwards the sort of contours of the ways of God and the way that even when it seems like he is not meaning good for his people, he means good for his people. And I hope as you read story after story after story of the ways of God, I hope you'll see the fact that God is at work to bring all things together according to his purpose in Christ. And I hope when you are suffering and when you are sad and when you are struggling, that your faith will be strengthened in knowing that God is at work in all things to bring them toward a purpose in Christ. All things, all things for good. The Bible says. And that leads us to our final point. Not only is there a mystery to God's providence, and not only is God's providence kind, but God's providence is settling. Uh, God's providence is settling. It has an impact on our lives. When we believe God is at work in a certain way, it impacts our lives. I I love Genesis 45, 24. Then he sent his brothers, Joseph sent his brothers away. And what does he say? And as they departed, he said to them, 
Do not quarrel on the way. I guess this is sort of like an episode of Mari Povich here, right? We've got a big reveal today. It's your brother, and we know that there's going to be absolute pandemonium in the family on the way home, right? Have you, you've gotten bad news before, and you know. My, I, I kind of joke, you know, the, the devil loves to work in the car on the way to church. Now, brothers, keep your poker face up right now. No, no elbowing, none of this kind of thing, okay? The Lord, Whitney and I used to drive 45 minutes from our apartment in Louisville to Sunnyside Baptist Church where I was to preach. Now, can you imagine the kind of work the devil likes to do in a little Dodge Caliber, 45 minutes from a seminary to a country church? Can you imagine the kind of things the devil likes to do there? So we know and we recognize traveling is oftentimes a way for the devil to get a foothold and begin to sow discord. And what is Joseph doing? He's saying, based on all that I've said to you about God's control and what God has done, I've forgiven you, I love you, I I care for you, I'm going to take care of you, God is providing for you through me. Don't fight along the way. And then they get home. and, And they talk to their dad in verses 25 through 28. The first thing he says is, don't mess with me, boys. He he didn't believe them. His heart was numb, the Bible says. But then they told him all the words of Joseph, and then he said, if you don't believe this, then look at all the stuff that we got. It all begins to become clear for all of them what's been at work in all all these times. And Israel says, well, first in verse 27, the Bible says, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before he dies. You see, the providence of God has a settling effect on our lives in at least two ways. First, it promotes unity and peace. And second, it gives us hope and assurance. Uh, The the providence of God has a settling effect on our lives. First, it it promotes unity and peace. I think you've seen it, I've seen it, we've all seen it. Adverse circumstances tend to drive human beings apart, don't they? I mean, if you think about it, oftentimes when you and a family member or you and your spouse have had some of the most difficult fights or conflicts that you've ever had, almost always it seems to revolve around adverse circumstances. We've seen people who go through difficult seasons feel driven apart. And yet what we have to recognize and what the Bible gives us, and part of the reason I think Joseph is telling his brothers not to quarrel along the way, is that adverse circumstances ought not to drive Christians apart. Instead, the opposite ought to be the case. Adverse circumstances ought to draw Christians together because we are all trusting God together. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is leading all things toward a specific purpose in Christ. Let's trust God together and let's be drawn together and nearer in unity and peace to the Lord. Churches everywhere are struggling in so many different ways. Churches everywhere are trying to come up with ways to reach people, to come up with ways to try to help churches survive. They see the way that oftentimes attendance and giving, all these things are dwindling, and I recognize the pressures that are there. And so oftentimes it can lead churches to sort of fight and bicker over the best ways to reach people. 
But here at First Baptist Church, what we want to say is not, man, what are we going to do about secularism? What are we going to do about these changes? What are we going to do about that, those changes? What we at this church need to do is look at each other and say, guess what? God put us here. And God put us now, and we are in some difficult circumstances with the culture around us, but we have the most mighty weapon in the world, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has promised that He will build His church and that the gates of hell will not persevere against us. It's not the time for Christians to turn and throw stones at one another. It's time for Christians to lock arms and say, we are marching on in the truth of Christ. These aren't hard times though they may be, we believe and we confess these are opportunities to serve God in beautiful and wonderful ways. Further, we're given hope and assurance by God's providence. As Jacob's spirit was revived, so our spirit must be revived in knowing that God is at work in ways we cannot see. And though the loss that we've experienced in this life may be permanent and it may feel like that, Joseph, we may not ever get the news like Jacob got that that which we lost has been returned. The son that he so sorely missed was alive. And, and we may not get our son back like he got his son back. Uh, we may not get Isaac back like Abraham got Isaac back, the Bible says figuratively, as though from the dead. But what we recognize and what we believe is that from the very first moment, when God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. When there was nothing anywhere, and God spoke, and something existed. We believe from that first moment when God, by fiat, spoke the world into creation, we recognize, as the Apostle Peter tells us then, later, that he now upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so that very same word that was able to speak worlds and caught the entire cosmos into existence, that very same word that was able to fling stars so far we can't even comprehend the distance, that very same power in that word is able to sustain the world to this very moment. And the Bible tells us from that first sentence of Genesis all the way to the life of Joseph and all the way here to the pews, at First Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama. God is upholding the world by that word and God is at work to bring all things together under the lordship of His Son. That gospel, that good news has made it to you and God was preserving these people in a place called Egypt precisely so that the good news of Jesus could make it to every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. God is preserving the seed of Abraham because that seed is His Son, Jesus Christ. And though we may not get to see those things we want to see in this life, we believe in a world world to come that has been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was dead, is now alive. From the worst moments to the best moments, there's not a single aspect of your life that is outside of God's control, care, and protection. And so from your darkest days to your most wonderful days, to the most mundane thing you do, like popping in and grabbing a cup of coffee. God is at work. 
God is in control. God is guiding all things toward His purpose in Christ. And brothers and sisters, I hope you'll find hope and joy and comfort in that glorious truth. I want to offer you an invitation this morning. And it could be that you've never put your trust in Jesus for the first time. This morning, I believe, if you'll turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. I hope you'll turn to Him today. Second of all, you may be, may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I, I've just not been trusting God and believing in His providence like I should. You do business right where you are or here. If you need to talk to me, I'm here for you. That's what I want to do. I'd love for you to take time to spend with the Lord during these moments. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love for you to come right here or catch me after the service today so I can talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer... I want to invite you to do business with the Lord, either right where you are or right here. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you for the love and grace that you've given us. And we thank you for the fact that you are guiding all things together according to your purpose in Christ. And God, I pray you would strengthen the muscles of our faith. Though we can't see all that you're doing, God, we pray we would trust that which you're doing, which we cannot see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.